Volume three, chapter fifteen of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume three, chapter fifteen. Rubbish! cried my lady. It's a trick. I know the Ancrums, and there isn't one of them, and never was one of them, of the Warwickshire Ancrums, that is, who would stick at a lie. Lady Seely was in a towering passion. She had met Algernon Errington on the stairs as he was leaving her husband's room for the second time that afternoon. Algernon had slipped past her with a silent bow, and had refused to return, although she screamed after him at the full pitch of her lungs. Upon this Lady Seely had gone to her husband's room, and in a few minutes had drawn from him the confession that he had promised Algernon to use his utmost endeavours to obtain a post for him on the Continent. And then, on her violent opposition to this scheme, Lord Seely had been led on to tell her pretty nearly what Algernon had told him, dwelling very strongly on the circumstance that Castalia was in a strange excited state, and might not be deemed responsible for her actions. But neither did this terrible revelation make much impression on my lady. "'Rubbish!' she said again. "'And if she is in this queer excited condition, what makes her so?' "'Belinda, you do not realize the full extent.' this is a more serious a more frightful matter than you seem to think oh no it isn't my lord you'll see a young rascal to come here with his cock-and-bull stories and try to frighten you into getting a berth for him why there's nothing to be had if one was willing to try except the consulate at what's-his-name on the mediterranean that mr buller mentioned when you spoke to him about my nephew i thought that might be got for ancrum belinda got for ancrum fiddlestick's end what next if the consulate is to be had reginald shall have it that's flat lord seely lay back on his chair and groaned yes cried his wife her cheeks flaming with anger until the rouge she wore seemed but a pale pigment on the hot colour beneath there it is he has made you ever so much worse upset you completely thrown you back a fortnight as dr noakes said he couldn't think what was the matter when he came at one o'clock no more could i my lord appears to have been agitated said he agitated yes i'd agitate that young villain with a vengeance if i could get hold of him but you agitate me belinda and let me tell you that you are not showing a proper feeling in the case as regards castalia my niece castalia poor unhappy girl my lady stood up she had risen to her feet in her wrath against algernon big florid loud of voice and vehement of will and looked down upon her husband in his invalid's chair and as she looked into his face she perceived and acknowledged to herself that it would not do to drive him to extremities that on this occasion neither indolence habit and bodily weakness on the one hand nor sheer force of tongue and temper on the other would avail to make him succumb to her she changed her tone and began to give her view of the case she gave it the more effectively in that she spoke the truth as far as the representation of her genuine opinion went she did not believe a word about castalia's having stolen money letters lord seely winced when she blurted out the accusation nakedly in so many words not one word as to the gossip in whitford that might be or might not they had but ancrum's word for it if castalia was in this nervous miserable state of mind if she did pry on her husband and prowl about the post-office and even open his letters that might be nothing more likely if all these statements were true what conclusion did they point to not that castalia was a thief my lord put his hand up at the word as if to ward off a stab but that she was insanely jealous the suggestion brought a gleam of comfort to lord seely and it approved itself to his reason 
the one explanation was in harmony with all that he knew of his niece's character the other was not jealous eh belinda of course insanely jealous that always was her character when she lived in our house she was jealous of lady harriet dormer she was jealous of everybody and everything that ancram looked at jealous repeated my lord musingly but to act so strangely to expose herself to animadversion to go to the length of opening desks and letters she must have had some cause some great provocation nothing more likely ancram is good-looking and young and castalia isn't but where did she procure that money without her husband's knowledge don't know i'm sure and her extravagance and running him into debt as she has done it seems to point to some mental aberration does it not belinda oh fiddle-faddle my lord why this and how that how do we know what truth there is in the whole story belinda oh bless you i'm too old a bird to be caught by any chaff the ancrams can offer me but good heavens belinda it is utterly incredible nothing's incredible of an ancram in the way of lying returned the great lady of that family with much coolness this young jackanapes has got into a scrape down at what you call it things have gone wrong in the office i'll be bound he don't mind his business a bit he and his wife have got into debt between them he don't like the place and after bothering your life out for money he comes off here without with your leave or by your leave and asks to be sent abroad that's my notion of the matter and anyway if i were you valentine i should take no sort of action nor commit myself in any way until i'd had castalia's version of the story lord seely pressed his hand to his forehead and writhed in his chair i wish to god that i could go to the place and speak with castalia myself he cried there are things that cannot be written but here i am a prisoner it is a dreadful misfortune i can't undertake to go traipsing down there in this weather exclaimed my lady and besides i wouldn't leave you just now lord seely by no means wished that his wife should interfere personally in the matter he well knew that nothing but discord was likely to arise from any interview between castalia and her aunt there is no one i could send he murmured no one i could trust no no it would never do to send anybody at all this kind of family wash had better be done in private i tell you what you do valentine you just dictate a letter to me to be sent to castalia send it off at once when does ancram return to-morrow very well then send it off at once so that it shall reach whitford before he does why so belinda asked my lord anxiously why so dear me valentine how stu unsuspicious you are if ancram was there when the letter arrived do you suppose she would ever get it lord seely stared at the florid fat unfeeling face before him with a sensation of oppression and dismay how was it possible to attribute such actions and motives to persons of one's own family with an air of such matter-of-fact indifference it was not the first time that his wife's coarseness of feeling had been thrust on his observation to the shocking of his own finer taste and sentiment for my lord was a gentleman at heart but this was an amount of phlegmatic cynicism which hurt him to the core he could not forget that it was his wife who had promoted the marriage of castalia with this young man it was his wife who had declared that the honourable miss kilfinane was not likely to make a better match it was his wife who had urged him to put young errington into the whitford post-office declaring that the place was in every way a suitable one for him and now it was his wife who coolly described ancram as a wretch full of the vilest duplicity the fact was that my lady was by no means so indifferent on the subject as her words and manner would seem to imply she was 
not pained as lord seely was but angered excessively she foresaw various troubles to herself and her husband even the distant possibility of having castalia returned upon their hands as she phrased it and of having sooner or later to find money or make interest to get ancram a berth which she would more willingly have bestowed on some of her nearer kith and kin and her fashion of venting her anger was roundly to declare ancram errington capable of anything and in her heart she believed him capable of a good deal of falsehood lord seely made no immediate reply to his wife's suggestion he was ill and grieved and he felt as if his final exit from this world of troubles might not be altogether undesirable his interview with algernon had agitated him terribly his interview with his wife although she had opened the door for a ray of hope that things might be not quite so terribly bad as he had feared had certainly not soothed him but before the departure of the evening mail that night he had completed and dispatched a letter to castalia he had insisted on writing it with his own hand sitting up in bed to do so although his fingers were scarcely able to guide the pen meanwhile algernon was spending a very pleasant evening he went to the club to which the hon jack price had introduced him during the brief butterfly period of his london existence there he found the genial jack friendly affectionate expansive as ever a trifle balder maybe but otherwise unchanged there too he found several of his former acquaintances old friends he called them who after having his name recalled to their recollection by jack price said hello arrington where the deuce have you been hiding yourself and shook hands with utmost cordiality then jack price insisted on adjourning to a favourite haunt of his and ordering supper in celebration of algernon's unexpected visit and the old friends were flatteringly willing to do algernon the honour of eating it they were mostly unfledged lads such as affected very often the society of jack price who was really a kind companion and gave the boys long lectures on steadiness of purpose and energy illustrated by warning examples from his own career and delivered amid such agreeable accompaniments to moral reflection as hot whisky punch and first-rate havanas but there were one or two older men a newspaper editor from dublin who had been at college with jack and a grey-whiskered major of cavalry who had served with jack during his brief military career and a middle-aged attache to his majesty's legation at the grand duchy of prundenhausen who had been a contemporary of jack in the foreign office and all these gentlemen being warmed by wine and meat became excessively companionable and entertaining the dublin editor a fat short rather humorous-looking individual sang irish sentimental ballads with a sweet tenor voice and at the whisky-punch stage of the entertainment brought tears into the eyes of the cavalry major and jack price the middle-aged attache did not cry he considered such manifestations beneath the dignity of the diplomatic service and although he affected a bitter tone and secretly considered himself to be a mute inglorious talleyrand much injured and unappreciated by the blundering chiefs at the foreign office yet to outsiders he maintained the dignity of the service at the cost of a good deal of trouble and starch algernon did not cry either indeed the combination of sentimental ballad and stout dublin editor struck him as being pleasantly comic but he paid the singer so easy and well-turned a compliment as to put to shame the clumsy thanks o'reilly by jove that was delightful what a sweet whistle you have of your own and the general shout of bravo by which the others expressed their approbation and then he sang himself one of the french romances for which he had gained a little reputation among a certain society in town the romance was somewhat threadbare and the singer's voice out of practice still the performance was favourably received but algernon soon changed his ground and eschewing music altogether began to entertain his hearers with stories about the eccentric worthies of whitford 
illustrated by admirable mimicry of their peculiarities of voice face and phraseology so that he soon had the table in a roar of laughter and achieved a genuine success jack price was enchanted partly with the consciousness that it was he who had provided his friends with this diverting entertainment and explained to every one who would listen to him oh you know it's great what great sir matthews isn't a patch on him inimitable what he's the dearest brightest most lovable fellow what a burning shame that a thing of this sort should be hidden under a bushel i mean down in what you call it by george what yes algernon spent a very agreeable evening and thoroughly enjoyed himself he certainly had a wonderful share of what his mother called the ancrum elasticity End of chapter fifteen